afraid of an afterlife that is lost that is a terrible thing a life that when it's over you go to a place where you live eternally outside the presence of God yes we should fear that we should fear that more than we are afraid of snakes and indigestion and not having enough money in retirement we should fear living in a godless afterlife We should fear that with the core of who we are. We should say, look, if there's an afterlife, I want to be where the loving God is. A car, a house, a 401k, college. There are a lot of things we work for that we invest countless hours of our lives. We should experience the life God has given us, but there is a tipping point where you can start living more for now than for eternity. Today, Pastor Daniel will help us find that line and shift our priorities heavenward. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verse 9, as we join him for his continuing study entitled, All the Pleasure Money Can Buy. What it says here, it says, I had gold, silver, special treasures of kings and of the provinces. He's like, I I acquired male and female singers. He's like, listen, I had Justin Bieber and Lady Gaga. I had the the first Les Paul, I had musical instrument. I mean, he's like, look, I had everything. He was getting from the treasures from the provinces. Kings were coming and giving him, hey, check this out. I just wanted to bring this to you because you're the king and this thing. And it's like, this guy had everything. He had everything you could ever dream. He could buy everything that was listed on eBay. It was all his. He had access to everything. He had all the pleasure money could buy. But look at what happens in verse 9. So I became great and excelled more than all those who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained in me or with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced at all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Verse 12, then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man who do who succeeds the king? Only what he has already done. When I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness, the wise man's eyes are in his head but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I myself perceived that the same event happens to them all. These verses teach us that having it all is never enough. Having it all is never enough. And this is something that our culture can't buy, really. It's like, we, we know it's true, You know it's true. You have a whole lifetime of experiences of getting the things that you want and it's still not enough and I get there and it's not enough and I get there, it's not enough. But we hear it over and over again. I mean, listen to the preacher. He says, look, I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. He's like, look. He's like, I had more money than 
Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. I had more toys than the person who had the biggest barns. I have exceeded and excelled beyond everyone before me. Now, that's a pretty bold statement. He has everything. I think it was John D. Rockefeller, one of the first, you know, mega wealthy people in America who said, they said, John, how much more money do you want to make? He said, just a little bit more. How much is enough? There is no enough. That's the problem with the human heart. It's never enough. Having it all is not enough. And this preacher is saying, look, I had everything. I was more wealthy. I had more of everything than everybody. It reminds me of 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23. Listen to what the writer of 1 Kings says. He says, so King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. So the commentary on Solomon's life was that he had more than everybody who came before him. He was the richest. See, in the end, money and the pleasures it can buy does not lift us from the realm of earthbound frustration. That's what we find. Now, listen, it's always important to have a nuanced view of things. So what it means is, don't get me wrong, acquiring things are not bad. They become bad when we put our hope in them. That's where it's a problem. Now, for those of you who are older, your retirement number, if your hope is in your retirement number, then that's a really terrible and tragic thing. If the security you believe you want, if your security is not in Jesus, then no matter what that number is, it's never going to be enough. That's what I've seen. I've seen older people who love the Lord, but their hope is really in that number not in the living God who provides for the birds of the air. And how much more will he provide for us? See, that's what happens when you take a good thing and you make it an ultimate thing, and ultimately that thing becomes something that enslaves you. For you younger folks, the younger generation is reacting to the older generation. So my generation, those youngers, we watched our parents work for all these toys that never made them happy. And so know what we're saying? We don't want to work for that stuff. Look, it didn't make them happy. So I don't want to do anything. I just want to live home. <laughs> and the older generation like, I-, I would never have done that. It's like, well, look, we watched what you guys did. You guys aren't that happy. So we're trying in another way. And it's equal. It's totally folly. Because I'm here to tell you younger people, having the high score in your favorite video game just isn't going to get you all that much. It's just not. Having mom make your, you know, fold your undergarments when you're 30 is just not, it's like there's nothing fulfilling about that. It's not. You know, and so every generation, every generation decides this is what's going to give me meaning. And I'm here to tell you, playing video games isn't, it's morally neutral. I mean, depending on what video game you play, maybe it isn't. It's morally neutral. But the thing is, is that if you take something that's meant to be entertainment or something that's meant to be a benefit in life and you make it the most important reason to be alive, that thing becomes an absolute slave driver for you. So the key for us in our culture, when we have access to all these things to enjoy, is to keep them in the right place in our hearts. We don't want it in our hearts. We, we keep them in our heads. We need to take care of that. But it's not the driving principle of our lives. When you read your Bible, following after God is the most risky 
and absurd experience. You'll do things nobody would ever tell you to do. Everybody at Harvard Business School or wherever you're looking for wisdom will tell you that's not the way to live life. Except for the true and living God will say, if you follow this way, you are going to find more meaning and more fulfillment than all the riches in all the world. But what's interesting is the writer to the Ecclesiastes and you and I, when we are following not God's script, but the script of our culture, you see where it ends up because we see it all around us. The actor who was in all the Transformers movies, he's, he's retiring from public life. It's such an ironic statement. It's like, how do you retire from being a human being? You know, it's like, I'm retiring from public life. I mean, this young man has made all sorts of money. He's famous and he's like, I just want out. And how many people take little videos of themselves doing silly things, hoping to go viral so they can get famous? See, it's like we see the fruit of trying to find meaning in things that are meaningless, but yet the alternative, we're like, I just don't want to do that either because I really like the trivial pursuit. I like the pursuit of something that isn't going to give me meaning because everyone else around me is doing it. And I'm saying, where are all the people who are going to blaze a new path that say, you know what? I'm not going to go this way because everyone's going there because it doesn't fulfill. I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm, not, I'm going to be unashamed. People say, why are you doing that? Like, I know it makes no sense to you, but it's okay. I'm following Jesus. Because you know what you find when you find people who've been following Jesus? You find profound fulfillment. You find people who say, look, I wouldn't have done anything different in my life. I am completely fulfilled because my life has been founded on God's glory and the betterment of humanity. It has nothing to do with how much I do or don't have, how many promotions I did or didn't get. I just simply follow Jesus and I am content because I lived a little heaven on earth before I get to go live heaven in heaven. And that's the question for us today. Are we trying to find the pleasure that money can buy, or are we saying, I want to find the treasure that money can't buy? That's the question for us. See, you look at what this preacher is doing, and, you know, look, it, it says, whatever my eyes, verse 10, desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. His eyes and his heart, his eyes are outward, his heart is inward. He's saying, look, everything my eyes wanted, I I partook of. Everything inwardly I wanted, I went after. Didn't matter what it was. Everything I tried. He, He tried everything. This is the ultimate testimony. He had the means and the ways to do everything he could even imagine. But what does he find? He find all his reward for his labor was the stuff that was in front of him. It was all vanity by the end of verse 11. And grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. Wow. He's like, well, I tried everything. All of it was meaningless. It was like trying to catch the wind. You ever try and catch the wind? You can't catch it, right? You grasp for it, it's air. There's nothing there. There's no substance there. Now, see what happens. So pleasure is not satisfying. Having everything is never enough. And then the preacher here gets really, really rubber meets the road here. Maybe a little too much so for us and our comfortability. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, so I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why is it then, was I then more wise than I said in my heart? This also is vanity, for there is no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? 
as the fool. Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Verse 20. Therefore I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor in which I toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what has man for all his labor and for the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun for all his days are sorrowful and his work burdensome. Even in the night, his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. Now you see what's going on here. The last section ended with this preacher saying, look, wisdom is better than being a fool. Being wise is better than being a fool. But the outcome is that death is the great equalizer. Death is the great equalizer. That's what these verses are about. Even though he lived his life, as far as he understood, based on wisdom, as opposed to folly, the wise man and the foolish man both have the same end. And that is the end of life under the sun. There's nothing less fun than talking about death. Why? Because we weren't created to die. When God created everything, everything was created for life, to live forever. And death happens because of sin. That's what the Bible teaches. In one way or another, sin brings death. Some instantly, others over a long period of time. But there is one thing that equalizes everybody, and that is the fact that everybody dies. It's just a matter of how, when, and why. Although... The preacher of Ecclesiastes says wisdom is better than folly. In the end, everybody dies. And that's real. That's real life. And I think what our culture in our quest for happiness, nobody likes talking about death. Or what's become popular now is pretending like death is really just a door to the next life that everybody has Disneyland after it. And that's not true either. I was talking to someone just the other day, like, well, I believe in reincarnation. I'm like, prove it. And they looked at me. They told me all the empirical reasons why they didn't believe in Jesus. I believe in reincarnation. I'm like, well, prove it. Since you're so empirically minded. And they looked at me. I'm from New Jersey, so I, I, I like that stuff. They don't expect it from a regal pastor. And they looked at me. I'm like, prove it. Okay, you believe in, well, who were you before? And they just look at you. And I'm like, who are you going to be after? How's it going? I'm like, have you done some bad stuff? You're going to end up being a cockroach. <laughs> the Bible says there's appointed man once to die and then the judgment. And what that means is no matter what the quality of your life is, there's going to come a point when this life ends and everybody's life ends at some point. And then what is the deal for you? And listen, someone once said to me, Pastor Daniel, you can't preach that people should be scared of hell. I'm like, oh, really? Really? 
Is there anything less logical than being, you should be afraid of an afterlife that is lost? That is a terrible thing. A life that when it's over, you go to a place where you live eternally outside the presence of God. Yes, we should fear that. We should fear that more than we are afraid of snakes and indigestion and not having enough money in retirement. We should fear living in a godless afterlife. We should fear that with the core of who we are. We should say, look, if there's an afterlife, I want to be where the loving God is. But most of us don't spend any time contemplating the hereafter, do we? We're so focused on the right now. Stephen Covey in his classic book about the seven effective habits of a, of a great leader, he said, you have to keep not only the urgent but the important in mind. And we live in a culture that the tyranny of the right now obscures what's important. That's that this life is not all that there is. And yes, making it through the next week is important, but there is an eternal life in the hereafter, and you choose where you end up there. I had someone say to me, Pastor, I just, if God would send somebody to hell, then I don't want them. I'm like, well, that's the most absurd thing I ever heard in my whole life. Because God isn't sending you to hell. You're choosing it if you reject Jesus. You're saying, look, I don't want to be in the after party with God. I want to go to my own place. I don't want this man to rule over me. God doesn't choose a lost afterlife. We choose it. He's given us. Your name is on the guest list if you want in. And there's nothing worse than letting what's going on today keep you from the eternity that God prepared for you in Christ. And if you're here today, if you're like, look, I haven't put my faith and trust in Jesus, I'm telling you, you need to make that decision. Because a no decision is a no decision. And there's nothing worse. If, if your house burns down and you do not have homeowner's insurance, you're paying for that on your own. Like, you can't say, oh, oh, I should have, can I get homeowner's insurance? No, you missed the boat. Don't miss the boat because death is the great equalizer. No matter how much someone has or doesn't have, this life is going to end at some point. It's going to end. It reminds us, of course, of what Job said in Job chapter 1. After Job lost everything, verses 20 and 21, it says, Job arose, he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he worshipped, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, Job realized that when death comes, everything that you made and built stays here. You don't take any of it with you. None of it goes with you. And that's why, that's the struggle, the frustration here. He's saying, look, when I die, just like the foolish person, someone's going to inherit all this stuff. I don't know if they're going to do good with it or they're going to do evil with it. It stays behind. We come in to this life and we go out with the exact same thing, just our soul. And when you have that in perspective... It changes the way we live, doesn't it? When you realize that the only thing you take out of this life, your car doesn't go with you, your house doesn't go with you, your 401k doesn't go with you, none of that stuff goes with you. You come in with exactly what you go out with. 
And we need to make the investment in that part of us that's eternal. I've always heard it said that God, people, and the word of God are the only three eternal things in the world. Those are the only things that last. God, people, and his word. And so the ultimate investment is not in stuff. It's in God, people around us, and in the scriptures because the scriptures are eternal. But that's the great equalizer. And I don't want to be a bummer. But you know, we're all one breath away from the hereafter. Some people say that's a scare tactic. We should be scared. Because no one knows the day or the hour of their last breath. And death's the great equalizer, so we need to make sure we get that one right. I mean, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is so frustrated by this, he goes and says that he hates his life and he hates the work that he does. I mean, that's 17 and 18, right? I hated my life. Because if this life is all there is, there's nothing to, it's like, there's stuff here, but it's all going to stay here. If the natural world is all your life is, it makes sense for you to be bitter. It makes sense for you to be frustrated. It makes sense for you to loathe all the work you have to do. But again, as is always the case, the Bible never leaves us with a purely natural view of the world. It doesn't. Because the Bible knows and reminds us every day that there's more at play than just this life. Because look at verse 24 to 26. It says, Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat, verse 25, or who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting, that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Finally, we find that we need to let God give true enjoyment. Let God give true enjoyment. See, you notice what he says here. He says, look, what I've realized is that we're allowed to experience the things of life, the good things of life. What he's saying here is that life is meant to be enjoyed within the bounds of what God has given. See, it's easy to read this and think, oh, well, the Bible's just saying just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you're going to die. But what he's saying is that when we follow after God, God has given us a life to enjoy knowing full well that this life is not all that there is. I mean, look, verse 24, life is to be enjoyed. The end of verse 24 Life is a gift from God. Look what it says. This also I saw was from the hand of God. In verse 26, for God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to the man who is good in his sight. So God gives gifts. But notice there's a distinction between people. But to the sinner, he gives the work of gathering and collecting. Brothers and sisters, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus... You don't give up this life for the next life. You give up your own style of this life to get God's life now and you get the hereafter. Jesus is real. Today's teaching tackled a tough reality, one that we don't often want to consider. And that's what happens when death comes. At the end of our lives, we'll look at what we've done, how we've lived. 
The only thing we take out of this life is the soul. And today we were asked to consider how we've invested in our souls, in God, those around us, and in the Word. As Pastor Daniel reminded us, we're all one breath away from eternity. Pastor Daniel covered quite a bit in today's message. Perhaps you'd like to review? You can listen to today's message again by logging on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just select today's date from the media player. Another way to get in contact with us is by email. The address is info at JesusIsRealRadio.com. By far, the best way to stay current with everything that you hear on Jesus Is Real Radio is to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is easy. Just follow the link at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Now be sure and tune in next time as we come to that oft-quoted chapter in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Familiar words in a passage that can sometimes be mysterious. Pastor Daniel will take us through these poetic verses in a message entitled, Beauty, Eternity, Mystery, and Reality. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Jesus Is Real Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in. Until next time, may the Lord bless.